1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Oh, beloved, let's pray again for the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You for Your truth. We pray that in this time as we consider Your Word, we pray that You would open our hearts. We pray that Your Spirit would move powerfully, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are soft. And Father, help us to love You and help us to love one another, for we belong to You as one body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we go to church? Why do we go to church? You know, this week I read an article entitled, Why You Should Go to Church even if you're not sure of your beliefs. And this article offered non-religious reasons for attending church, uh, such as church-going offers greater social support, it helps build discipline, it improves one's mental and physical health. Uh, interestingly, there was a separate survey done uh, of Christians uh, surveying why Christians go to church. And this survey actually gleaned quite similar reasons. Uh, a majority in this survey said they go to church to be closer to God, to become a better person, and for personal comfort and encouragement. You know, friends, there's nothing wrong with these reasons per se. You know, they're, they're generally good and well-meaning. Uh, yet, I, I can't help but wonder if there may be a tinge of self-centeredness in them. You know, on the flip side, Polls find that many stop going to church, not because they've rejected the faith, but many stop going to church simply because it's inconvenient or they're too busy. Well, friends, how have we made the church revolve around us, around our wants, our expectations, or our preferences? 
You know, we live in a culture where individualism and consumerism are normal and perhaps even encouraged. And we may not even realize how the world and its values has influenced our views of the church. And the pandemic has not caused this, but the pandemic has exposed this. Some have gotten so attached to the convenience of live streaming that they've decided to stay home. And not for health reasons, but simply because it's easy. According to a recent poll of some 150 churches in Singapore, two-thirds reported a, a marked fall in attendance compared with pre-pandemic levels. Your friends, the church has always had to grapple with the problem of self-centeredness. In the New Testament, the Corinthian church practiced a sort of selfish spirituality. Now, although the church was rich in spiritual gifts, it was a very gifted church. But it was also a very divided church. You know, I think it's helpful to note even here that giftedness is not the same as godliness. Giftedness is not the same as godliness. The Corinthians thought having certain spiritual gifts, especially the supposedly more spectacular gifts like speaking in tongues, made them superior and more spiritual than others. And instead of using their gifts to serve others, they used their gifts to serve themselves. And the church was split between the spiritual halves and the less spiritual have-nots. The more gifted grew proud and they looked down on those who they, whom they thought were less gifted. And the less gifted became envious. And they felt increasingly marginalized in the life of the church. So it was a divided church. And Paul addresses the problem in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. You know, a lot of discussion on these chapters in the New Testament have focused on whether Certain charismatic gifts like speaking in tongues or prophecy have ceased or continue today. That's not my purpose this morning to address, and this isn't even Paul's main concern in these chapters. His main burden in these chapters is not to open up some debate about charismatic gifts, but his main burden is to reunite a divided church. And Paul does this in these chapters in three key parts. He reminds them of who they are, their common identity as God's people in Christ. And then he rebukes them. He rebukes their pride and selfishness and exhorts them to love one another. You know, perhaps you've heard a wedding sermon from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you know, it's helpful to note that that's in the context of a rebuke. It's not a lovey-dovey sermon about the nature of love, but it's actually a rebuke about what love is and how these Christians in Corinth are not loving. And then Paul goes on to correct their wrong views of spirituality. Rather than being puffed up with pride, they should humble themselves and humbly build one another up. So those, those are the three key parts of Paul's reasoning with them in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And like the Corinthians, we need constant encouragement to remember, remember who we are. Because we are inclined to define ourselves in the world. But these chapters help us to remember who we are and how we should live not just as individuals, but we should live in community 
as God's people. Oh friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I pray that hearing about how Christians ought to do life together would also encourage you to know that true community can be found. And true community can be found in Christ alone. And I pray that you would come to know Jesus and in knowing Him, also know His family. I pray that that would be true of you as you hear His Word. So beloved, as we begin a new year, we begin this year with a three-part sermon series on these chapters in the New Testament on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 entitled Bodybuilding. Next week, we'll hear about how we should serve one another with one love. And the Sunday after, we'll hear how we should build up the church in one truth. And today, our big idea is this. The church is one body with many members. Therefore, we belong together, we need one another, and we love one another. That's our big idea for today. The church is one body with many members, Therefore, we belong together, we need one another, and we love one another. So that's the outline for our sermon this morning. So number one, Jesus joins many as one body, looking at verses 12 to 14. The Corinthians were selfishly making distinctions among themselves by claiming to be more spiritual or more gifted than their counterparts. And by boasting of their individual differences, they were tearing the church apart. Beloved, do our differences cause divisions among us? No, they will. If we allow our differences to define us, to define who we are. We easily define ourselves based on age, younger versus older, marital status, singles versus marrieds. How long you've been here at GBC, newer church members versus longer time members. We can define ourselves based on ethnicity, one race versus another, based on nationality, local versus foreign. We can define ourselves based on our differing views over politics, over social issues, over music, over dressing, and the list goes on. Our differences will cause divisions if we allow our differences to define who we are. So how do we keep a diverse church together? You know, some claim we shouldn't even try. You know, according to this uh, teaching about church growth that was really popular and still is popular now, called the homogeneous unit principle. Basically, this principle of church growth simply says that we should form different affinity groups because we'd be more comfortable being with others just like us. So you have a group for this kind of person, a group for another kind of person, a group for that kind of person, and that kind of person. You just, so the church just multiplies affinity groups, and you just encourage people to stay in those affinity groups because they'll be more comfortable. And that's how you grow a church, through many, many different affinity groups. You know, this may make, you know, this, this sounds like it makes sense. It sounds like it makes pragmatic sense. But I put it to us that the homogeneous unit principle, this idea of the church, falls terribly short of what God intends for the church to be. Beloved, God's goal for us isn't our comfort, but God's goal for us is Christ-likeness. 
Now, sure, it may be easier hanging out with folks who are like us, but we've got to think, how is this different from the clubs, societies, and affinity groups of the world? How will we be different from the world if we only hang out with folks who are just like us? And what's more, don't we realize that God often grows us by pushing us out of our comfort zones to do difficult things like loving those who are different from us? You know, imagine a marriage where both spouses like everything to be easy and low maintenance. Now, imagine a marriage where both of them simply want to enjoy the relationship and all the benefits that, that the relationship brings without the effort of commitment and sacrificial love. You know, imagine a marriage like that. I think we would say that this marriage is in trouble. You know, many seek relationship, many seek community, but beware of wanting a good thing for self-centered reasons. Beware of wanting community for the wrong reasons. Do we commit to church because it's easy and convenient for us? Now, beware of making an idol of what we want the church to be. A true Christian community is not on our terms, but it's on God's terms. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, and that's a wonderful book. If, if you want to read a good book on Christian community, I highly recommend Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. You know, good, good to put on your reading list for 2023. And in that book, he, he has this wonderful quote where he says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Now, it may have been easier for the various factions in the Corinthian church to part ways. Maybe the more spiritual ones will go off and do their own church and the less spiritual ones will remain. I don't know. You know, this would have been easier perhaps but this would also have undermined their gospel witness. You recall Jesus' prayer where he prayed for his people to be one in John 17, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, therefore, Paul seeks to reunite a divided church, not by forming different affinity groups, but he seeks to reunite a divided church by emphasizing what they have in common, which is what verse 12 says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You know, Paul compares the church with a human body. Just as our physical body is one, although it consists of many different parts, so it is with the church the body of Christ. The church is made up of many members with diverse spiritual gifts, diverse jobs, ages, family backgrounds, races, cultures, nationalities, and so on. But it is one body. We have unity in diversity, not unity in uniformity. You know, and, and this kind of unity is not man-made. You know, we, we didn't create the church, we, we didn't create this sort of unity. And in verse 13 
Paul explains how this unity has come about. Now he says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul says to us that our unity is not man-made, but is the result of the Spirit's work in each one of us through the gospel. Uh, beloved, do we realize that we have unity because of what God has already done? No, God has done the heavy lifting and reconciled us to Himself and reconciled us to one another. Now, once we were dead in our sins and alienated from God, far from Him, but God graciously sent His Son to save us. Jesus came, and by dying on the cross, He bore the judgment for our sins, if we trust Him, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be brought back to God and made right with Him. And by rising from the dead, Jesus gives us new life, new affections for Him, new affections for one another. And He makes us together a new creation. And beloved, when we trust in our Saviour, Jesus, He gives us His Spirit. And Jesus baptizes us in the Spirit, and this happens at our conversion, when He calls us to Himself. We receive the Spirit who then joins us to Christ, and the Spirit joins us to His body in an unbreakable bond of fellowship. Therefore, regardless of our differences, we are one because the same Spirit lives in each one of God's people. And thanks to the Spirit, we all confess the same gospel. You know, we stood up earlier in the service and we confessed the Apostles' Creed together. And Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 12, in the same Spirit, we confess Christ. Right? He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, beloved, we have been saved by God's grace alone. And unless the Spirit has made us spiritually alive, we would never have believed in Jesus. We are one in Christ only by the grace of God. You know, none of us, none of us has earned our place in the body of Christ. You know, none of us truly deserves to be here in our own merit. So how can we make self-centered distinctions among ourselves? You know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do we have that we did not receive? If then we received it, how can we boast as if we did not receive it? You know, beloved, do we realize that to be self-centered, to be selfish, to think only of ourselves and not of others, we realize that that denies the gospel. Selfishness denies the gospel. Paul says in these verses that the distinctions that used to divide should no longer separate us from one another. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Far from hindering our unity, our diversity actually shows God's wisdom in bringing many different people together. 
You know, last month I had the opportunity to preach at Emmanuel Church of Orange County in California, in the U.S. Uh, you know, you know when, I, when I went to the church, it was so encouraging because I met the members and I met the pastor, Jason Barris. You know, that church has been praying for us over the past few months. You know, it was planted in May. And since then, they pray regularly for Grace Baptist Church in Singapore. And they were, they were so excited to see me in the flesh because they said, hey, we've been praying for you. So good to see you in person. You know, beloved, how encouraging that we have these Christians on the other side of the world and we are united to them in this bond of Christian fellowship. We may not have ever met them and some of us may never meet them, but we have this bond of unity. Why? Simply because we belong to Jesus together. You know, I think some of you have had this experience, you know, when you go traveling and you visit a church overseas, have you ever had this experience that, you know, no matter where you go in the world, you have community, you have a family, for the Lord is saving a people from every people, language, and nation. How wonderful that God is bringing a diverse peoples together in Christ. Yes, we know the church isn't perfect. And oftentimes, our very differences may be occasions for conflict among us. You know, but when we're tempted to wish others in the church were just like us, you know, remember that our diversity is not our idea. It's not an end in itself, but our diversity is God's idea. You know, look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. As He chose. You know, God brought each one of us. You know, think about it. God brought you, God brought me, each one of us. God brought us to this local church, not by coincidence, not by chance, not by accident, but He brought each one of us here in His sovereign will and purpose. He providentially brought us together, even here this morning, in this same room. And He brought us together for this express purpose that we may love one another and grow together and glorify Him together. You know, yes, we are different. And yes, our differences will often cause conflict, we'll step on each other's toes. But it's good to remember why God, God brought us together and how this is God's idea. So instead of grumbling about one another, you know, can we trust God? We trust God that this is His idea, not ours. And like a master builder, God is wisely bringing each one of us to be part of His church. You know, friends, we realize that being a committed member of a local church can be messy. It isn't, it isn't easy, comfortable, or convenient. But we join the church not because the church is perfect, but we join the church because we trust God because we trust God's good plans and purposes for His church, and that's why we join the church. Church membership shows that we trust the one who is Lord over the church. And we are one body because Jesus gave His life to bring us together. You know, in a moment, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together. You know, this meal renews our covenant with God, and this meal also renews our covenant with one another. 
That's why we don't take it alone, but we have a meal together. The Lord's Supper pictures what Christ has done to join many as one, one body. Now, beloved, as, as we prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper together, and I pray that we will not take our blood-bought unity for granted. Even now, consider your relationships with one another. How are your relationships doing with one another? You know, how might we need to pursue peace and reconciliation with one another? You know, how are we strengthening the unity of this local church? You know, for example, can we be hospitable, especially to those who are less familiar and those on the fringe of the community? How are we bearing with one another in love? Can I be a peacemaker rather than a gossip? Jesus has made us one. And because we are one, Paul then applies the implications of our unity in Christ in the rest of our passage. Because we are one body, we belong, we need one another, and we love one another. These three implications. So let's begin with the first one, we belong, looking at verses 15 to 20. Now, in verses 15 and 16, Paul uses the analogy of the body again, of the body parts, to illustrate how some members in the Corinthian church were feeling like they were not needed. They thought they were unimportant, unlike the seemingly more prominent parts of the body. So it says, you know, the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. The ear says, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Now, some of us may feel that we don't belong because we don't think the church needs us. Now, maybe we think, hey, no one will miss me if I'm not around. There's so many other people here. You know, one or, two other, one or two people not being here doesn't make a difference. Now, for example, we may think we are unimportant because we don't teach the Bible. Uh, we, we don't play a musical instrument. We don't lead others in song. Or, or maybe we think we're unimportant because you know, we're not like those extroverted type A personalities who are always out there meeting people. We're quite reserved. We keep to ourselves more often than not. Maybe, th maybe we think we're unimportant because, you know, maybe we think we don't contribute very much because of various mental or physical health challenges. You know, Paul is a very wise pastor in these verses. You know, he knows that our perceptions don't always match reality. Now, what we feel or think about ourselves can be wrong. And more importantly, what we feel or think about ourselves cannot change what is true. You know, some people say perceptions are reality. I disagree. That's not what Paul says here, right? Our perceptions don't change what is true. That's so why he says in verse 15 and 16, regardless of what a body part says or thinks, he says in these two verses, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And regardless of what you think about yourself, whether you fit in or not, that would not make you any less a part of the body. Now, our wrong perceptions don't change the fact that Jesus, objectively, that's objectively true, Jesus has joined many 
as one body. And He has brought us together with our different ages, personalities, life situations, backgrounds, skills, etc. So, so friends, you know, when we're tempted to think that we don't belong, that we don't fit in, that we don't contribute very much, what do we need to do? We need to stop listening to ourselves. We need to stop listening to ourselves and instead start listening to what God says about us. That's what it means to really believe the Bible. Stop listening to ourselves. Start listening to what God says about us. And God says we are one body in Christ. We truly belong because Jesus has welcomed us into God's family. You know, beloved, recall what we heard from Galatians last year. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. And in Christ, we are truly accepted. We are deeply loved. We don't have to be good enough to belong. We don't have to be a certain personality. We don't have to think that we, have, we need many spiritual gifts or talents or abilities to belong. No, not at all. We belong simply because of what Christ has done. And for those of us who are non-Christians, can I encourage you as well that the, the way you belong to a community like this one is not by being good enough. It's not by cleaning yourself up and making yourself a better person then becoming a church member. No, no, not, not, not far from it. The only way you can belong to this spiritual community is simply the same way we've, the rest of us have come to belong. We believe in Jesus Christ, who saves us entirely by His grace, not because of anything that we've done. And that's how you come into this spiritual community, not because you meet some standard that we've set. No, you trust in Jesus. You come to Him. And by coming to Him, you come to His family as well. So when our self-perceptions are wrong, what do we need? We need brothers and sisters who will speak the truth of God into our hearts. And we have a responsibility to one another, beloved, to strengthen one another with the truths of the gospel, especially when we feel or think that we don't belong. We need one another to help us feel connected, to encourage us, to, re to remind us that these are the truths of the gospel, that Jesus has made us one. You know, this is what we've covenanted to do for one another as fellow members of Grace Baptist Church. So reach out to, to irregular or absent members. Encourage them to come back. Encourage them to gather regularly with the rest of the church. Why? Because the body needs them. The body needs every part of the body. And they need the body as well. So instead of thinking we don't fit in or envying others for their gifts, you know, know that our diversity serves God's purposes. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? You know, every time I read that verse, I think of Monsters, Inc. Anyway, <laughs> you know, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You know, a body with only one body part you just imagine in your mind a body with only one body part, like a giant eye or a giant ear. You know, that would be quite grotesque, not to mention rather useless. 
You know, God, is, God isn't building His church in a cookie-cutter sort of way with one sort of member, with one sort of spiritual gifts. No, no. God is using many different people with many different gifts for the common good of, his one, of the one body. Now, maybe this kind of helps us to think about the way God builds His church. It's different from the way we think about building something. You know, maybe being Singaporean, we, we like the sense of control, we like, being, we like structure, we like being really organized, so we kind of have this wonderful strategy and plan and plug people into our plan, oh, you must be like this, you must be like this, you must be like this. Well, God says, not at all. His church is diverse. We can't plan for it. Right? It's, what, it's whoever God brings to us with whatever gifts He sees fit to entrust to this local church. So what, what can we do? We can be content and we can be grateful for the gifts God has entrusted to us in this local church. We can pray that we will be wise in stewarding the gifts that He has entrusted to us, not envying the gifts of others, but thanking Him for the gifts that He's given to us that we may serve Him with joy and serve one another with joy. And we can also stop expecting our brothers and sisters to conform to a certain mold of our own making, trying to pigeonhole people and force them into molds that they don't belong. We can trust God. His plan for the church is way, way better than ours. As members of the body of Christ, we all have a part to play in building up the church, and we each contribute in different ways to the body. Uh, beloved, in God's sight, no spiritual gift, no member is unimportant in God's sight. You know, I, I fondly remember Auntie Roslyn. She passed not too long ago. You know, I, I always remember her sitting at the back of the hall, and every time I walk in, uh, you know, her, her smile was just so moving. You know, friends, Auntie Roslyn couldn't do very much because of her age, because of her health, but her presence and her unfailing prayers for the church moved mountains. You know, there are many other older members in our midst whose faithfulness in being present and they're praying. I think they encourage us all. Well, I pray that those of us who are younger may get to know them. Now, these older members are living testimonies of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, on the surface, they may not be able to do very much physically, but they are precious to God, and they do very much in His economy. So let's get to know them. Let's be thankful for them. Another implication is how we need one another, verses 21 to 24. In these verses, Paul addresses another group in the church that thinks they don't need anyone else. You know, in the Corinthian church, those with sought-after spiritual gifts saw themselves as superior. And they thought that they could go off and do their own thing without worrying about the rest of the church slowing them down. So how does Paul undermine their self-centeredness and their pride? Well, he shows them and he shows us that we need one another. We are mutually dependent on one another for our health and growth. You know, as, as we think about the new year, you know, some of us may have resolutions to grow this year. I, I think 
pause and think about how you cannot grow on your own. Growing as a Christian is not just having resolutions for individual spiritual disciplines and doing them. Growing as a Christian means committing to God's people, helping others to grow even as they help you to grow. Now, resolve to do that. Resolve to be a part, a meaningful part of God's people this year. Don't pursue spiritual growth on your own. You know, verses 21 to 22 say that, right? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. No body part can function independently apart from the body. An eye without a hand is unable to do anything. You, know, you may see very much, but you can't do anything. Likewise, a decapitated head is dead. <laughs> None of us has a monopoly on spiritual gifts. We need help and encouragement from our spiritual brothers and sisters. You know, we, you know beloved, we, you, you do realize that we cannot obey God on our own. You know, we, we simply cannot obey God on our own. Why? Because all the Bible's one another commands are addressed to Christians in community. If we're not an active part of a local church, then how do we do the one another commands? We cannot obey God on our own. You know, meaningful church membership means being present. It's embodied presence, right? Not, not on a Zoom call, not watching a live stream, but meaningful church membership is embodied presence. We have to be here. We have to show up. Why? Because in showing up, in being present, this is how I know, this is how I love, and this is how I serve. My brothers and sisters, I can't serve them over a live stream. I need to be present. That's what it means to be a member of a local church. In fact, our growth depends on the parts of the body that seem weaker. Yeah, this should humble us. You know, some, some years ago when I was in seminary, you know, I had a big head, thought I knew a lot. Uh, then I signed up to do children's ministry. So I, I taught three to four-year-olds, and you know, believe me, three to four-year-olds will put you in your place very quickly. So what did I learn? I learned humility, teaching three to four-year-olds. I learned patience. I managed to escape having to change any diapers. That was good. Uh, and I learned how to make the gospel clear. I, I realized that having a big head with lots of theological knowledge is useless if I can't speak it clearly. So teaching three to four-year-olds taught me how to make the gospel clear to even the very young. Right? If they can't understand me, then what's the use of a seminary degree? Not much. You know, many of us have also been encouraged by the examples of church members among us who are suffering and yet remain faithful in trials. You know, they, they may seem weaker, but they contribute to our, our body life by encouraging the rest of us. Their steadfast love of God and their faithfulness remind us that we can trust Him. They contribute to the body, and our church is stronger because of them. I was talking to Simon Sia just the other day and saying, you know, brother, when, when I saw you come back, 
during COVID and you were the one at first to come back even after your stroke. You know, I was telling him, telling Simon, you know, you, you just, you, you encouraged me to remember the importance of gathering as God's people. You contributed to the life of the body. You know, this world honours the successful, this world honours the powerful, the beauty, the beautiful and the famous. But celebrity culture has no place in the church. Instead, Paul says in these verses, we appreciate the members of the body who seem invisible. We appreciate the members of the body who serve quietly behind the scenes. Verses 23 and 24, on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it. You know, those who serve publicly on this platform do not need more recognition. Rather, we honour those who visit the sick, who comfort the bereaved, who encourage the downcast. We honour those who befriend strangers, who welcome the lonely into their homes. We honour those who serve humbly and self-sacrificially as Christ serves us. We honour those who do not seek to make a name for themselves, but who seek to serve for the fame of Jesus' name. We honour those. As, we, as I prayed earlier, we honour the deacons who serve quietly, ensuring that ministry happens in this local church. You may not know who they are, you may not have met them, but they serve well. Encourage them. Follow their example. Finally, because Jesus has made us one, we love one another. Verses 25 to 27. Beloved, church is not merely a meeting we attend weekly, but a community to which we belong. You know, this is who we are, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are one body with many members because we all belong to Christ. He has made us one. And God has brought diverse people together for this purpose, that we might love one another. Verse 25 to 26, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Through our diversity, God is teaching us how to love and serve those who are different from us. This is the heart of what it means to be a church member. We are committed to love, to serve, and do spiritual good to one another. And this is what distinguishes a church member from a consumer, right? Consumers complain when their demands are not met. Members work together for the good of the whole body. That's the difference. So don't keep the church at arm's length. Let's do life together. Let's make it a resolution this year that we will do life together. Invite others into your life and be prepared to step into someone else's life. Yes, it's messy, but let's do that because we love Jesus. Help one another to grow in Christ, to pursue holiness, to fight sin. You know, put pride to death. 
Don't stand aloof from those who are suffering, but humbly come alongside one another and share in each other's pain and sorrow. Weep with those who weep. Put envy to death. Don't be jealous of someone else's blessings, but delight in each other's joys. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Build deeper relationships with one another. Make the effort to know and be known by one another. Gather regularly. Be at service, fellowship after service. Go for the picnic this afternoon. You know, join the monthly prayer meeting. You know, we're moving our prayer meetings to Sunday. Why? So that more of us will be able to gather for prayer on the last Sunday of every month. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to come together and bring our requests to God together. I know Friday nights are tough for many of us, so we moved it to Sunday in the hope that more of us can come together to pray. Join the care group to build up, encourage, and serve others. You know, beloved, instead of asking what's in it for me, ask, how can I serve Christ? How can I serve my brother and sister. So why do we go to church? We don't go to church just for me or for you, for your, for your own selfish reasons, but we go to church for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we go to church for the sake of Christ. And Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oh, beloved, do we love Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Then let's love his body, the church. I think it's very appropriate as we draw to a close, for those of us who are members of this local church, of Grace Baptist Church, can I invite you to stand? We will close our sermon by renewing our covenant with one another. I've exited sub. This is an excerpt of our members' covenant. So those of you who are members of Grace Baptist Church, can I invite you to stand with me as we renew our covenant with one another? These few paragraphs are an excerpt from our members' covenant. It's not our whole covenant, but these are especially appropriate given what we've just heard from God's Word. So let's say them together. And this is a wonderful way to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper as well. Let's say this together. We will not neglect to gather regularly for corporate worship or to pray for ourselves and others. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, bearing each other's burdens with tenderness and compassion. We will be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to watch over, pray for, patiently bear with, Forgive, encourage, and admonish one another with love, humility, and gentleness. We will serve others with the spiritual gifts with which God has blessed us for the edification of the body of Christ. Thank you. Please be seated. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, we thank you and praise you. Father, you are a wise God. You are a good God. You are so faithful and loving to us. You have saved us from sins. You have saved us into your people that we may not be alone, that we might not be isolated, but that we would have brothers and sisters who can come alongside us, even as we come alongside others for our mutual good. 
Father, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the church. Though the church is imperfect on this side of eternity, but we know that you are perfecting her, that you will one day present the church to yourself in splendor, without any spot or blemish. We thank you for your plans and purposes for your people. We thank you that you are conforming us to Christ each day, even through our difficulties, even through our challenges in community. We pray that we would hope in you, and we pray that you would help us to love you, to love Jesus, and by your Spirit, may we love one another and so glorify the name of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.